0: It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Wednesday, February 22nd. I'm Kelly Reese and this is your KVMR Evening News. First up, the California report. Despite January's torrential storms, the state's snowpack is shrinking at an alarming rate. Then we've got your local news and weather, before KVMR science correspondent Al Stoller sits down with Courtney Carpenter, a warning coordination meteorologist from the National Weather Service. The two discuss the winter storm rolling in, and KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza speaks with Clayton Thomas, the president of Nevada County Professional Firefighters Local 3800, about the future of Rough and Ready's Fire Protection District.
1: This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez, joining you from Santa Cruz. A hearing on gasoline prices in the state is scheduled to take place in Sacramento, more than two months after Governor Newsom called for oil companies to be penalized for price gouging. Today's hearing, before the State Senate Energy Utilities and Communications Committee, is the first during a special session on gas prices. Jamie Court is president of Consumer Watchdog. He told KPBS in San Diego that oil companies have made record profits in the state. And Californians deserve answers. And you can make a good living making gasoline in the state. You just can't gouge us. So this is an upper limit. And yet, with that upper limit, a very high limit, we still have $3.3 billion in penalties assessed against the companies last year. So they made too much money off our backs. The hearing on oil pricing will include testimony from both consumer advocacy groups and oil industry representatives. Last month, a lot of snow fell on California, which was good news for our drought-stricken state. But California's snowpack is dwindling fast, and that creates uncertainty for the state's water supply. KQED's Ezra David Romero explains.
2: January storms brought California's snowpack to over 200% of the average peak amount it's fallen by more than 40%.
3: That is an extremely
2: steep drop-off. Carla Namath is the director of the Department of Water Resources. She blames a dry end to January and February with less than an inch of rain statewide.
4: So that really does tell the story for the challenges that we face over the remaining days of February, March, and April.
2: April 1st is usually the indicator of how much snow will be available as runoff. Namath said warming temperatures are moving that peak earlier in the year, which creates challenges for future water supplies. A storm could drop several feet of snow in parts of the Sierra this week. For the California Report, I'm Ezra David Romero.
1: In Madera County, elected officials are continuing to push for answers and solutions after the closure of Madera Community Hospital more than a month ago. KVPR's Sarith Hawk tells us more about Madera County's actions.
3: The Board of Supervisors delivered two letters one addressed to the governor and state legislators, and another to the board of Madera Community Hospital, asking for access to hospital data and interviews with leaders. The request will allow a consulting firm to conduct a full review of hospital operations and finances, says Deputy County Administrative Officer Joel Bouguet.
5: The information gleaned from this review can help both MCH and the county as we partner in restoring or reshaping hospital health care delivery in the community.
3: The hospital still hasn't filed for bankruptcy, something that county supervisor and hospital board member Rob Poitras sees as hope for a solution.
6: The message there is the hospital is still working very, very diligently uh, to put something together, an operating model uh, that works.
3: The letter to the governor and other legislators asked for the state to intervene with financial help like grants and no-interest loans. For the California Report, I'm Sarith Hawk in Fresno.
1: During the height of the COVID pandemic, Los Angeles County tried to stop landlords from evicting renters who have pets that aren't allowed under their leases. Those protections were set to go away this month, but LA County leaders extended them to more months. Even so, some renters and their beloved pets are facing the threat of eviction. In Los Angeles, LAist housing reporter David Wagner has the story. (laughs) In the
5: living room of this Covina townhome, a Chihuahua-Terrier mix is playing a fierce game of -of tug-of-war with her favorite chew toy. (laughs) This little dog is more than just a cute family pet. (laughs) Julie Turner says she's helped her recover from debilitating aneurysms.
0: She's like my comfort. She gets me out of the house. And this is what my animals do for me. They keep me going, they keep me functioning, they keep me playing, they keep me, you know,
1: working.
5: Turner's son, Eric Calderella, says they named the dog Dobby because with her ears pulled back, she kind of looks like the magical servant from Harry Potter. Like our little house elf, yes, exactly. Without her ever knowing it, Dobby has become a point of conflict. A couple months ago, the family's landlord gave them a notice about Dobby and their cats.
2: It was saying that we had to remove our
5: animals within 25 days. The next month, their landlord gave them a 60-day notice to vacate their home. It never seemed like they had any intention to work with us. It seemed like they had every intention to get us out. But L.A. County has had rules in place to keep people housed during the pandemic, even if they have unauthorized dogs and cats. Diane Prado is the executive director of Heart L.A., an organization providing legal assistance to Calderella and other tenants with pets. She says the county protections have helped, but they have not stopped eviction threats.
4: There's been a
3: huge rise in calls of threats of landlords trying to evict tenants with pets, and then also actual notices that have gone out with clients that we're now currently assisting.
5: L.A. County's Board of Supervisors voted to extend pet protections through March, but Prado says every extension is just kicking the can down the road.
3: And when there is that rise of evictions, not only does that mean that a tenant could potentially be evicted, a pet is going to be thrown into a shelter that's already overcrowded.
5: More people have been surrendering pets to L.A. County's Department of Animal Care, saying it's because of problems with their housing. Brittany Thorne heads Best Friends L.A., she says landlord disputes are forcing more people to return pets to their no-kill shelter.
3: It's hard for them. These pets have been a part of their families. Not only are they stressed about losing their housing, now they also have to relinquish their animals.
5: Landlords say tenants know if pets are allowed when they sign a lease. Fred Sutton with the California Apartment Association encourages renters who've taken in pets to try to work out a compromise with their landlord but he says landlords should not be forced to allow pets that weren't supposed to be there in the first place.
6: People need to understand that the rental operator is trying to manage the building for everybody. <laughs> Come, on,
5: Come Eric Calderella says no one complained about Dobby or his cats until his landlord suddenly wanted them gone. I have an odd feeling it's because of the low rent we pay. I mean, as of 22 years of living here, it's expected that we pay low rents. It seemed like this was just their way of saying you got to get out. Caldarella's landlord did not respond to our request for comment. If push comes to shove, Caldarella says he'll give up his home before giving up his pets. I would rather live out of my car before I get rid of my animals. Caldarella hopes LA's pet protections will keep his family in their longtime home, at least a little while longer. For the California Report, I'm David Wagner in Los Angeles.
3: Support for the California Report comes from the James Irvine Foundation. Committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at Irvine.org. Hint, fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories. In stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, which bets early on exceptional people making the world better. On the web at schmidtfutures.com.
1: And that is the California Report for Wednesday, February 22nd, second. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez, today in Santa Cruz. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great day.
0: Let's take a look at today's local news. The two people who died in Sunday's plane crash off Dog Bar Road in Grass Valley were identified this morning. According to the Nevada County Sheriff's Public Information Officer Leslie Williams, a 63-year-old Nevada City man named Lauren Wilman and a 55-year-old Grass Valley woman named Nicole Shandrew were the two airplane occupants. An accident report filed on the Aviation Safety Network website says the privately owned plane crashed in an open field after a near-vertical descent. The aircraft involved in Sunday afternoon's fatal collision was an amateur-built kit plane, an AirCam experimental model. Registration information from the Federal Aviation Administration lists Lauren Wilman as the manufacturer of the aircraft. The plane was certified airworthy on September 22, 2022. Data obtained from the flight tracking website FlightAware confirms that the plane departed the Nevada County Airport at one ten p.m. on Sunday and was last seen near Grass Valley at one twenty-four p.m., The flight's distance was recorded as 12 miles. FlightAware also reported that the plane had successfully completed a 15-minute flight earlier that afternoon. According to the AirCam website, the model is a twin-engine open cockpit quick-build kit that takes about 1,200 hours to complete. There are 200 AirCams currently completed, with about 30 more under construction. This reported by the Union of Grass Valley. Let's take a look at your local forecast and that winter storm rolling in. The National Weather Service has issued a winter storm warning for the Grass Valley, Nevada County region, in effect until 4 a.m. Saturday. Heavy snow is expected, with snow accumulations from four to 12 inches for those at an elevation between 1,000 and 1,500 feet. For those between 1,500 and 3,000 feet, the National Weather Service forecasts one to three feet of snow, And if you're above 3,000 feet, prepare for 3 to 6 feet of snow. The heaviest snow is expected tonight through Friday afternoon, with wind gusts as high as 75 miles per hour. Travel could be very difficult to impossible with hazardous conditions impacting the morning or evening commute. Downed trees and local power outages are possible due to the heavy snow and gusty winds. The National Weather Service recommends keeping an extra flashlight, food, and water in your vehicle in case of emergency. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight mostly cloudy with a low around 24 degrees. Snow showers likely mainly after 4 a.m. Thunder is possible with gusts as high as 18 miles per hour. New snow accumulation of 1 to 3 inches is possible. Thursday, Snow with heavy snow showers at times, and a high near 34 degrees. Breezy with gusts up to 28 miles per hour. New snow accumulation of three to five inches for Thursday afternoon is possible. Thursday night we'll see snow showers and a low around 28 degrees. Windy with gusts as high as 37 miles per hour. New snow accumulation of 10 to 16 inches is possible. For Truckee and Lake Tahoe, Tonight, snow likely mainly before 4 a.m., mostly cloudy with a low around 7 degrees. New snow accumulation of 3 to 5 inches is possible with gusts as high as 25 miles per hour. Thursday, snow mainly after 10 a.m. with a high near 21 degrees. Snow could be heavy at times with new snow accumulation of 3 to 7 inches possible. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight partly cloudy with a low around 33 degrees. A slight chance of rain showers before 8 p.m., then a chance of rain and snow after 5 a.m. Thursday, a chance of rain and snow showers before 9 a.m. with some thunder possible. Mostly cloudy with a high near 49. The National Weather Service has issued a wind advisory for the Sacramento Woodland area, in effect from 10 a.m. Thursday to 4 p.m. Friday. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. The weather a day or so ago was positively balmy, but no longer. Coming up, KVMR science correspondent Al Stoller speaks with Courtney Carpenter, a warning coordination meteorologist out of the Sacramento National Weather Service office.
7: There could be some instability, cold air above warm air. That warm air wants to rise, cold air wants to sink, and that can give thunderstorms.
4: This is a cold weather system that's dropping down north.
7: The cold air coming from up north. Is overriding the warm air that we have here?
4: Yeah. So if you recall, it's been pretty mild. So this is um, cold air system dropping down essentially from Canada. So it's pulling in that cold air and it will be moving across the state the next few days. And that can cause thunderstorms.
7: I understand there might be some winds coming up from the south on Thursday. That air coming up from the south, that'll be warm air.
4: Yes, it will be slightly warmer.
7: That could turn the snow into rain, at least for the valley.
4: The precipitation for the most part across most of the valley will fall as rain. It could be a little bit of snow, you know, up towards Redding and Red Bluff in those areas where there's a little bit colder air in place. But for most of the valley, it will just be some beneficial rain.
7: The storm is coming in from the north, so it's going to hit the northern foothills first. When should the Motherlode really see the effects?
4: Well, there's showers out there right now. It's snowing across the Sierra. Um, the heaviest snow from this whole system is expected to be Thursday night into Friday.
7: For the mother load?
4: hmm
7: There's a, a low system offshore that's feeding pulses of, of activity into us.
4: Yeah, so it's kind of one big system, and it will have multiple waves over the next few days. So those kind of rotate around the larger system.
7: And the larger system is offshore?
4: Yeah, the center of it, but it will affect, you know, onshore the whole state.
7: What are the chances that the storm will last well into Saturday?
4: Uh, The bulk of the storm will be uh, through the morning hours of Friday, and then there'll just be some lingering showers this weekend before another system next week.
7: I'm an astronomer, and there's going to be a really pretty sky Wednesday night, a week from now. What are the chances for a clear sky?
4: hard to say, but at this point, it looks like a wet pattern, so maybe some clouds are around by that point, but that's kind of in the day eight time frame.
7: Which is getting very iffy. Correct. <laughs> okay. Courtney, this has been very helpful. Thank you very much.
4: No problem. Have a good one.
7: I'm speaking with Courtney Carpenter, meteorologist with the National Weather Service in Sacramento. For KVMR, I'm Al Stoller.
0: The Rough and Ready Fire District Town Hall meeting kicked off at 6 p.m. this evening. The purpose? To inform residents of what the fire department is calling, quote, a serious financial shortfall. In an attempt to provide some context to this ominous phrase, KVMR News Director Claudio Mendonza talks with Clayton Thomas, the president of Nevada County Professional Firefighters Local 3800. I recently spoke to Captain Clayton Thomas.
2: He's the president of the Nevada County Professional Firefighters Union, Local 3800, and I asked him to help me understand the situation.
6: So about eight months ago, the Penn Valley and Rough and Ready Fire Protection Districts formed a committee to look into the potential of a merger. That was necessitated or that idea was brought about by the fact that Rough and Ready was experiencing financial hardships that put their ability to provide fire protection in jeopardy. So during that time, they've discussed a couple of versions of what a merger could look like. It could be a consolidation of the two fire districts, much like a neighboring agency, the Vatican Consolidated, has done uh, previously in their history between five districts over time. Uh, one other option is that Rough and Ready dissolves their fire district and they get annexed by another agency, whether it's Consolidated or Penn Valley, depends on a lot of different factors but those are the issues that that group has been exploring. That group is made up of Bruce Stevenson, the Penn Valley Fire District Board Chairman, Terry McMahon, the Penn Valley Fire District Vice Chairman, Tom Nelson and Doug Whitler, both of them board members at the Rough and Ready Fire District, the Penn Valley Fire Chief, Don Wagner, with advice from Sue Hook and SR Jones, Sue being the District 4 uh, Supervisor Representative and SR being the LAFCO Representative, which is the local agency formation commission.
2: I asked him to explain the differences and the pros and cons of a merger versus annexation and consolidation.
6: There's a lot of factors to be weighed in that. In a merger, the two agencies would basically combine themselves. And so any debt or revenue that the the prior two agencies had would be combined into one. In this case, Rough and Ready has significant debt tied to their fire station mortgage and a mortgage against one of their fire engines, of which they only own two.
2: There are some advantages, I believe,
6: to uh, a dissolution and annexation.
2: So it sounds like the Rough and Ready Fire District, Fire Protection District, is basically insolvent.
6: Well, insolvent, um, that's a technical term. Uh, I can tell you that based on evaluating their budget, their revenue and their expenses, it would appear to me as a representative of the employees that work there that sometime by June, they don't have enough money to continue staffing their fire department at all, which, by the way, they're only staffing it two thirds of the time now. And the other one third of the time, their neighboring agencies are picking up that that response.
2: And can you speak to why they're in that situation? Is it just because fire protection has gotten more expensive? Is it because it was a mistake to mortgage the building?
6: So let's back up a couple of years. Well, more than a couple. They passed a ballot initiative, um, a benefit assessment. They only have about 735 parcels in the district, give or take. And that was to increase their their assessment on their their parcels up to somewhere around $240, $250 per parcel. And then in addition, they get a percentage of the 1% property tax that everyone pays to the county. Uh, a about 15% of that 1% is directed to their coffers for fire protection. That being said, the cost to staff the average fire station in Nevada County is somewhere in the range of a million to one point million dollars a year between staffing Overtime, vehicle acquisition and replacement, station maintenance, fuel, uh all the other, you know, heat for the station, lights, phones, um, technology. Uh, I mean, there's there's a lot of other pieces to that puzzle. They bring in roughly half of what it would take to staff, a little less than half of what it would take to staff a fire station anywhere else in Nevada County. So what they had done over a period of years was They suffered penalties and fines from EDD and the IRS over payroll taxes during the 19, 20, 21 years.
2: Rough and ready fire protection district did?
6: Yes. And that's because they didn't pay payroll taxes for a certain amount of time. During that time, they also realized that they were not employing and paying their firefighters appropriately under the Fair Labor Standards Act. They have since decided that's not a good course, and they are they are compliant with that now, but that of course increases some costs
2: making sure that I've got this all put together, so there was some bad payroll choices which led to fines being levied that in combination with vehicle mortgage and fire station mortgage have created a situation where the rough and ready fire protection district. Can't make its bills. And so the talk was, well, why don't we consolidate with Penn Valley? What's the advantage to Penn Valley then? From a purely technical perspective, what's the advantage?
6: No, I'll I'll tell you that there is a direct advantage. So that fire station remaining open, they provide more aid to Penn Valley per month than Penn Valley provides to them or Grass Valley or Consolidate because they have a relatively low call volume, but we have a need for an extra engine many times a week, if not sometimes during the day. So there's an advantage to Penn Valley to that station staying open. There's an advantage to Grass Valley and Nevada County Consolidated for that station to stay open. So losing that one engine, while not only is it catastrophic to the people within the first five minutes of their station in a cardiac arrest, when that AED and those EMTs showing up right then matters, but it also affects all of their neighbors. It's a bigger effect.
2: Here's the big question in my mind, the one that I feel like I'm asking for a lot of people. Rough and Ready closes its doors in June, which could potentially be the height of wildfire season. What happens when there's a fire?
6: It will take a minimum of five to 10 minutes longer for the first arriving fire engine to get there. Right now, the next nearest fire station is either from the Penn Valley Fire District or from the Grass Valley Fire Department, shortly followed by CAL FIRE, but in any event, um, still um, a delay.
2: That was Captain Clayton Thomas, President of Nevada County Professional Firefighters, Local 3800. The public will gather to discuss the future of the Rough and Ready Fire District at the Rough and Ready Fire Department at 14506 Rough and Ready Highway on Wednesday, February 22nd.
0: That's our newscast for Wednesday, February 22nd. Visit us online at kvmr.org and connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. KVMR gets support from generous listeners like you and Sierra Derm Center for Dermatology, specializing in general and cosmetic dermatology, skin cancer detection, and skin cancer removal for over 18 years located across from Sierra Nevada Memorial Hospital, Grass Valley. New patient openings available, information at sierraderm.com. And MEC Builds, Nevada County Roofing Contractor with over 20 years of experience, providing complete roofing services, gutter products, sun tunnels, and skylights. The showroom is at 316 Colfax Avenue in Grass Valley, mecbuilds.com. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendonza. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off.